the first chapter of First Peter. We'll start reading maybe in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead, gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. That's all we'll read, more than a man could cover uh, in many days, really. But as... We're looking here and we get caught up to the context of where we are. Peter has talked about the salvation that's in Jesus Christ, the hope that he's given us. And the word hope in the Bible, it means an expectation or a confidence. So Jesus, in his blood, in his sacrifice, we have a salvation that's brought us to a lively hope, a lively expectation and confidence of deliverance at the end. That when the end of life comes, whether as in this day they were burning Christians at the stake, they were crucifying them, Peter's famously crucified upside down. They're beheading Christians and all manner of slaughter. Peter says we have a lively hope no matter how the end would come, that in Jesus we have deliverance. And he talks here about the fiery trials and uh, the trying of our faith, we need not think it strange of the fiery trials because of Jesus Christ, we have this salvation. And he says some wonderful things in 10, 11, 12. This salvation that many righteous men in the Old Testament and that even the angels desired to see the fullness of. The, the word there, they desire to look into, it's to peer over the edge I think of a young'un at the zoo and he's trying to get up to where he can see what's in there and he just isn't tall enough to do so. The angels look in to the love and the grace, the forgiveness of God. They're not able to understand the love of God that he's had towards us. They've never been sinners. They've never been saved. So thinking about this great salvation that God's provided us, wherefore, Peter says... Gird up the loins of your mind. That word mind, it's your deep thought. To gird up the loins in this day, you see it all through the Bible. They wore those long robes down to the ankles when they went into battle, when uh, they needed to move quickly. They had a girdle around their waist. They would tie that thing up to get it out of the way so they wouldn't be tripping and falling all over it. So he says, gird up the loins of your deep thought. Think and ponder on these things. And that sounds elementary, but the truth is a lot of times we sit mentally in neutral 
and we don't uh, soak in or eat up the Word of God as we ought to. So gird up the loins of your mind. Let your mind to be exercised on what the Word of God would say to us and be sober. So to be of clear mind is what that means. And you know, I, I know that when we say sober, we immediately think of intoxication from alcohol. That's, that's what we're taught to think in our world today. And I believe that's a great picture, a great type of being sober-minded. So as, as we begin to take in intoxicants, we begin to bring this into our body, the, the more we ingest, the more intoxicated we become. And the more intoxicated we become, the less our senses operate as they should. The more our brain can, we can hallucinate, our judgment can be taken from us, our mind can play all manner of tricks, the more and more intoxicated that a man becomes. And we, we see that naturally. But think about it to the spiritual man. Realizing this, that there's two of each and every one of us. There's one that our family is going to carry to a graveyard one day and bury, and the other man is going to be with God. There's one that is flesh and blood. There's one that is born of the Spirit of God. Now, the one that's born of God is perfect. He is perfectly sanctified. There's no further work needed to be done. And John says in little John, he says that that which is born of God sinneth not. There's an inward man that is saved, that is born of God, that is absolutely perfect, absolutely righteous, and he needs no work whatsoever. But there's a fleshly man, and the fleshly man is far from perfection. And the Lord has left us in this life and in this world for sanctification that we might through, through growing that we might through, as Peter's looked at already in this chapter, through trials, that our natural man might day by day be more and more sanctified and brought into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that we might be more saved, but that our lives might more and more reflect the glory of the Lord. And this soberness of mind that he's talking about here, we live in a world a world of wickedness, a world where they attack your thought in every way through friends, through those that we work with, through family that's lost and undone, through entertainment, through music. All of these things are there and they're there. And you know what they do? If, if you listen and you're around this enough, that'll begin to intoxicate your thinking. Your judgment will become clouded and you'll become you'll become one that thinks more like the world than one that thinks more biblically and spiritually. And as, as that happens, you see how that's being intoxicated? The world is corrupting our thinking and corrupting our lives and it's leading us astray from that that the Lord would like for us to do. He says this in Luke chapter 21 uh, verse 34. This is the Lord Jesus. Take heed to yourselves, the disciples to me and you, to the church that's saved. Take heed to yourselves, 
You can see this in Matthew 24 as well. As the Lord's telling this is what's coming uh, in the last days, this is what you can expect. Take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. So that's burdened down. To be overcharged, it's overburdened. Overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and with cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. So uh, surfeiting, that's, we might say, a hangover. It's a terrible headache that's from intoxication. And to be drunken and the cares of this life, notice how they're all grouped up there together. So what's happening? Well, here's the disciples. Here's the people of God. We're growing into the last days. Iniquity is bounding. Uh, Sin is uh, uh, overtaking our world. And their minds and their hearts are being clouded and intoxicated by the world that's going on around them. Their mind is taken away from the Scripture and from the Word of God. Their heart and their love for God is waning as they're attracted to things that are in the world. And as that happens, even the day that the Lord Jesus is talking about could come upon us unaware that a man can get so drunken on the things of the world and so drunken with worldly thinking that he's no longer thinking about his master and the one that delivered him out of darkness, but his mind is on worldly things. And that day, the day of the appearing of the Lord Jesus, come and we're unaware. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the earth. This day, the day of judgment and wrath, it's going to be like the bird that's flying around. It's going to be like the mouse that's nibbling on the peanut butter, and in a moment, they're called and they're dead. That's the way the the day of the wrath of God is going to come on those that are blinded and that are undone and that are lost. But friends, as children of God, the day shouldn't come on us like that. We ought to be sober-minded and be watchful. We can find that commandment in many of the epistles that's written. So if if God's saying be sober, if God's saying be mindful, lest the cares of this world and care, it's, it's worry about the coming of good or fear of evil. It's anxiety that comes of all of these things. And you know what all of that can do? All of that draws our mind away from our loving Savior His powerful control and the word and commandment. So be mindful of this. Take heed to yourselves lest that come upon you. Lest, as Peter says, lest you be drunken. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of night or of darkness. You know, the world... The lost world, they are blinded and deceived by the devil. They do not know what is right. They have no ability to determine what's good and what's right with God. Now, what the world says is right and what the book says is right is two completely different things. We've come to a day, as Isaiah said, and I realize there's been days all through history that have looked like this, that they call evil good and they call good evil, what's wrong? They're in darkness. They're in blindness. 
They're in deceit. And we shouldn't be surprised that lost people live that way. But we're not children of darkness. We've been born again. We've been given this lively hope. God has done such a work in our hearts. He says, Paul writes this here, We're not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. You know what the world's doing? They're sleeping. John in 1 John, the last chapter, closing in on the end of the chapter, John says that the whole world life in wickedness. They're asleep in wickedness. I believe you can see that in Noah's day. Noah is preaching a flood of judgment and the world is asleep in wickedness. And one day... The ark went shut, the rains began to fall, and the whole world was caught unaware. The Bible says, Jesus says, they knew not until the flood came. How could they not know? Blinded and ignorant of the truth. But the children of the day, they're not blinded, they're not ignorant. Let us not sleep, but let us watch and be sober. Let's get the worldliness out. And I realize it's easy to say that we ought to be sober-minded. It's easy to say that we ought to be discerning. It's easy to say that we ought to know what's right and what's good and what's wrong. It's easy to say we ought to do what's right and and not what's wrong. We ought to be children of the day and not children of the night. But how do we do that? How do we do that? We're going to have to fill ourselves with what's good. If I'm going to take in what's intoxicating, I'm going to wind up drunk. But if I drink water, I'm not going to be intoxicated from that. So Paul writes in a couple of the epistles, Ephesians, maybe to the Philippians as well, Colossians, to think to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Pour into your heart the Word of God. Ponder on the Scriptures and the Gospel. And don't look to the world for advice. Don't look to the world for comfort. But let us look into the truth of the Word of God because the world is filled with lies. And whatever you want, I don't care what it is, Whatever you want to do, somebody in the world will back you. Somebody in the world will support you. They somebody that's drunken enough on the lies of the devil, they'll back whatever you say. That don't make it right. The Word of God is that that is sober, that that is pure. And as the church of the living God, let us watch and be sober. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Ain't that amazing? I've thought on this before. Think about how much of the evil, the parties, the fun, how much of it goes on after dark. It's still like that in our world. Why is that? Man doesn't doesn't even realize it. But inside of him, there's a shame even for evil that we're gonna, it's going to take place at night, at dark, in secret, covered up. And so here, but the church, 
The church who has had the work of God, the operation of God in the inward man that has been brought out of sin. And you talk about brought out. David said he plucked me out of the miry clay. God's hand come down to the very sinfulness that you were in. His hand reached down to where you were and he plucked you out of the filth and the muck and the mire. And I'm telling you this tonight, if God had not reached down to where we were, we'd still be in the same mire. We'd be sunk up deeper. Our lives would be in a bigger mess. We'd have less than we have today. Our our hearts would be in a wreck and we'd be on our way to destruction. But God pulled us out of the mire and he set our feet on the rock and while we're there, let us be sober and watchful in the Word of God, pouring over the truth, seeking after the Scripture. Let us not have the goodness of God shown to us and wind up drunken on sin and the things of the world, but let us pour over the Word of God and let us think as God would think. That's sober thinking. You pray something often and it can become a vain repetition. It's not meant from the heart. And I fully realize that. But I say often, God, help me to be sober. Let me be spiritual minded. Let me not think like the world thinks. Let me see as you see. Let me think as you would think. You know how God thinks? Just like the Word says. God's thoughts does not oppose the Word of God. God's will does not oppose the Word of God. No part of God is contrary to what's written in His Scripture. And so I can, the more I know of the Word of God, the more I know of how God thinks. The more I know of the Word of God, the more I know what God's will would be. The more, and why preacher, it ain't worth spending time in that. No, but time spent in absolutely everything else that does nothing but intoxicate us. And it hardens our hearts to the truth. It hardens our hearts to the gospel. It hardens our hearts to the Word of God. The drunker and drunker we get, I tell you, we'll think we'll be able to stop a train one day. It's happened. What happened there? What would you say? They were out of their mind. That's what you'd say. Well, what about folks that are saved, or that at least say they are, and they're drunk? Not on alcohol. They're drunken. Their mind is clouded. Their thought is clouded. They're thinking a way that's in line with the world. And they're opposed to the Word of God. What's going on there? They're drunk. They're out of their mind. They're not thinking as God would have them to think. Their mind has been clouded. They that sleep, sleep in the night, but we are of the day. I believe Paul's saying this, we've got no excuse. The sinners, they're blinded. The wicked, they're blinded. They're under the control of the devil, but the church is under the control of God. We're not in darkness anymore. So, be sober. Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope to the end to have confidence without wavering. That's what that word means. Confidence without wavering. Do you have that confidence? Do you have confidence 
without question. That Let's just start at the end, as he says here. At the end of our days, that God's going to be there to deliver us from death. That we're going to be delivered from hell. Confidence without wavering. That's a wonderful confidence to have. But I don't believe that that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. Remember, we're talking about fiery trials, great hardship, great trouble. You can be thrown in one when you're not expecting it. In a moment, your heart can be tied in a dozen knots. In a moment, your stomach can be turned upside down and things not be the same anymore. But you know what the Lord says here? Hope to the end. Knowing this, that God is in control, we can have an expectation, we can have a confidence without wavering that God is going to deliver from the fiery trial. You remember what the three Hebrew children, what they told Nebuchadnezzar down in uh, Babylon? He said, we're going to heat it seven times hotter and we're going to throw you in. And they said, O king, whether he delivers us from your hand in the furnace or not, we're not bowing. We're going to go in. He's able to pull us out of the fire. But whether he pulls us out of the fire or not, we're not bowing and he will deliver. Unwavering confidence. They did not know they were going to survive the fire. They could have died in there. They were willing to die in there though. One way or the other, if I burn up in there, I'm going to be with God. And if I come out on the other side, God's going to be with me. We can have the same confidence as the children of God. A trouble that comes and rocks the boat and rocks the ship and rocks our lives down to its core. You know what we can do? We don't have to look to the world. Wouldn't you say this tragedy that happened early one morning this week, a mom and a daddy lost their senior in high school. Brothers and sisters lost, lost their sibling. If you wasn't real careful, it'd be real easy to be mad at God. You know what that would be? That'd be drunken thinking is what it would be. That would be somebody that is out of their mind. That'd be somebody that is not sober. Because I've got this confidence that whatever comes and shakes our lives, that at the end of the trial, the Lord Jesus is going to be revealed through it. You know, you think of Peter as they crucified him upside down, or or James the apostle as uh, Herod, I believe, or... I think it was Herod that had James to be beheaded or Paul the Apostle who Nero brought and cut his head off. At the end of their lives, you know what was reflected? The Lord Jesus Christ. You know what was seen? Their Savior was seen. And know this, that at the end of the trial, by the soberness of mind and watchfulness of the heart, the Lord Jesus Christ can be exalted through our trial. It might kill me. It might, but you'll be delivered. You can have confidence without wavering that the Lord will deliver. But you know what's going to happen? If you're not sober-minded, if you're not sober-minded, you're going to be inclined to err. 
you're going to be inclined to do the wrong thing. I believe Abraham and Sarah. Now Abraham never once doubted the promise of God. We've got that in Romans. He was confident that God was going to give him a son. But you know what's going to happen? Their judgment's going to get cloudy one day. And they're going to say, you know, maybe what God meant was you take this woman Hagar and let her bear a son. Now we know how that worked out. Was that the will of God? No, that, that brought forth a lot of trouble. Trouble for Abraham. Trouble for Sarah. Trouble for Isaac. Trouble for Ishmael himself. The only thing that come of that was trouble and sorrow and sadness. And I want you to know that if we're not sober-minded, we're going to be apt to act that way and bring about trouble and sorrow and anguish in our lives when the Lord says, the Lord says this, be sober, hope to the end for the grace. You know what I can look for? And God help us to pray for look to the end, to have confidence without wavering for the grace, the divine influence of God in the heart and its reflection in the life. You know what I believe Paul did? Why there's no sense in praying for grace. No sense in praying for help. God knows what we need and He's going to bring it. Well, old Paul was being buffeted by a messenger of Satan one day and Paul got on his knees and he prayed three times. You know why he prayed three times? Because the Lord answered on the third one. But if He didn't, I believe He would have prayed again. But on the third time He prayed, He was praying, Lord, would You take this thorn from me? Would You set me free of this trouble, this trial, this thorn that's in my side that is always bothering me? I want this to be fixed and out of here. And the Lord said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you that in the midst of the trial... I'm able to strengthen you. And you know what's going to be seen? It ain't going to be what a good fellow Paul is. It ain't going to be how long-suffering that Paul is. But people are going to look and say, look at how God has given him strength and glorified his name in the midst of the trial. But you know what Paul needed? He needed a word from God to sober him up. Paul needed sobered up. And so at the revelation of Jesus as obedient children. You know what you want? (coughs) Wouldn't you like to have a child that's obedient? I'd like to say to them, go do this. Okay, Dad. Don't always happen. Sometimes it's why or I don't feel like it or can I do it in a minute But God says that we are to be, towards Him, an obedient child. Not one that, I mean, you can can put yourself there naturally. That's what's so beautiful about the Word of God. He puts it in a way that we can see. That just as when you ask your young, and why don't you do this? And they say, no, Dad, I don't want to right now. And you know, your hand starts to itch. Don't it? Well, you know what the Lord says? That I'm to be as an obedient child. And when the Lord says this is what you ought to do, I ought not say, well, God, I don't think that's what's right. God, I don't believe that's what I ought to do in this situation. God, you don't know where I'm at. I'm busy right now, Dad. I'm doing something else. 
Is that a wise answer to give to the Father? God says be an obedient child that as the Lord gives direction, you know what I should do? Without question, I should do that. I don't know why He's asking me to do so. I don't know why His Word commands. Why, preacher, that's foolishness. It might be foolish. But if the Father says that's what you're to do, we ought to be an obedient child, not question Him, but do as He says. Submitting ourselves to His Word and to His Spirit. Well, it's not necessary that we do all that. You know what that sounds like? A disobedient youngin. It does. Questioning. Back-talking. Stubbing up. And saying, I'm not going to do. You know what I can do? I can make them do. I've done it many times. I've made them do what they didn't want to do. I've broke their stubborn will. You have too if you've had kids. You've had to break their will. You've had to show them who is the boss. Can the Lord not do that? The Bible, why God don't do that stuff? Well, in Hebrews, He says, He that is without chastisement is a bastard and not a son. You know, Jonah stubbed up one day and Jonah said, the Ninevites, they're evil people. They hang people up. They skin them while they're alive. They're a cruel people. They've done piles of evil. They don't deserve the gospel preached to them. And God, I'm not going. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go buy me a ship and I'm going to go the other way from what you want me to do. But you ever noticed the Bible says, but the Lord prepared a great whale. Now, if you're not careful, you might think, well, he must have done that in just a second. I don't believe that. No, I, I believe this whale had been being prepared for this very moment. The Lord had for years been preparing a whale. Why is he doing that? Because he's got a young'un that's going to be disobedient. He's got a young'un that's going to stub up on him. He's got a young'un that's going to go against his word. And you know what the Lord's got? The Lord's got a whale designed for Jonah. And you know what God's going to do to Jonah? He's going to bring Jonah down to the very bottom and Jonah's going to say out of the belly of hell, cried I, God, if you'll let me out of here, I'll do what you said. God broke his will. God turned him around and God sent him to Nineveh. And he done exactly what he said he would never do. So as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves to fashion. It's to conform. Not being conformed to the old man. Water is a liquid and it conforms to whatever you pour it in. If you've got a star-shaped cup, if you've got a round cup, if you've got a heart-shaped cup, doesn't matter what it is, you pour it in, water will fashion and conform itself to that shape. You know what we are? In a lot of ways, we're a lot like water. And whatever situation we're in, whatever kind of people we're around, whatever influences is on us, we'll conform ourselves to that shape. And so the Bible says, don't conform to the old man. Listen, let me, let me read it so I don't mess it up. Fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. As saved people, we can look back like David did and say, I want you to look at the mess 
that I was in when God saved me. We can look back and say I was in nothing but miry clay. My life was nothing but rebellion and trouble and sin. And I, I believe, I believe like Ezekiel said, I believe we could all say that I'm not proud of the fellow that I was. I'm not proud of the way I acted. I'm not proud of the way I talked. So then tell me this then. As saved people, as the children of Israel that's been brought out of Egypt by the hand of God Almighty, why would we desire to go back to Egypt? Why would I want to be like I used to be? Why would I want to go back and conform myself to the old man? The man that God has saved me from. Do you see how drunken that man can get that he gets to the shape that he thinks I'm better off in Egypt. I'm better off down there where they're afflicting and torturing me. I'm better off down there in darkness. I tell you what we better be. We better be sober and we better be obedient children not fashioning according to the old man, but is he which hath called you is holy. Is God holy? Sacred. Pure. Thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy. So holy and so pure, he cannot look on sin. So holy that sin cannot enter His presence without it being burned up. So holy that the man Moses on the mountain can't look at his face. There's been nobody ever seen God and lived. Not one. So God says, and it's because it is written, verse 16, this is a quote from the Old Testament, Be ye holy because I am holy. You know what he's saying? I know today people say, well, that's Old Testament, that's the law. It don't matter how we act today, that's law. Well, he says this, be holy for I am holy. And if you look back to 14 where he says, as obedient children, the Father's saying, I want you to be like me. I can tell those boys that. And I may be wrong. I may lead them astray. It's very possible that we lead our own children astray. But the Heavenly Father, has He ever led anyone astray? Has the Father ever led anyone of His children from the truth? Has He ever called somebody to go into trouble and, and to go into uh, the darkness of the devil. Would he ever lead his children that way? No, no. I'll tell you what puts me into trouble. I'll tell you what causes a lot of my trouble, what brings on a lot of my sin, is when I'm unwilling to do what God wants to do. It's when I'm taking in the world and I'm becoming intoxicated and it leads me to be disobedient and it leads me to sin. And every single time, I'm left with nothing but regret and sorrow for what I've done to the Lord. No, the Lord says, be holy for I'm holy. I want you as my child. I want you to be like me. I want to take your life and mold it into the image of me. Listen to what he says. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. If you look that word up, it means behavior. 
I want you to behave yourselves like me. That as you go out into the world, and Peter's going to have a lot to say. He's going to speak to husbands. He's going to speak to wives. He's going to speak to children. He's going to speak to servants. He's going to speak to masters. That whether we're the boss man on the job or we're at home or, or, or we're with our friends or wherever we are, God's got a way that He'd like for us to behave. You know how He wants us to behave? Not like the world. Not like them that we're around. Not like the co-workers. You know what they are? They're in darkness. We're to be children of the day. We ought to be look like the Father. We ought to behave ourselves at all times like the Father would behave Himself. You be holy because I am. You be like me. And if you call on the Father, you ever do that? You ever call on Him? I believe everybody that's saved. I believe when trouble comes, the first, the first inclination of a sober-minded, saved person is to find somewhere and fall on our face and say, Oh, Father, Father, I need You. I need Your grace. I need Your strength. I need your wisdom. I need you to give me some guidance. I need some counsel. Would you guide me? Would you help me? Would you strengthen me? Would you give me grace? Well, he says this, if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. No respect of persons. You know, God don't care who you are. He don't care how long you've been here. He don't care how long you've been a part of the church. He don't care how old or young you are. He don't care what kind of pull you've got. He don't care what you've got in a bank. He don't care what kind of deeds you've got and land you own. God has no respect of persons in judgment. So what I ought to do? Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now does that mean... I've, I've heard it almost put this way sometimes, that I ought to be afraid of God as an abusive dad might black my eye. No. No, you know, I never feared dad that way. But you know what they ought to? They ought to have some respect and fear of the judgment and trouble that the father's able to bring. They ought to be some respect of the Father and say, you know, He'll heat up my backside if I don't do what I'm told. So I don't want to, but because of that, I'm going to do what the Lord said. I'm going to do what the Father has said. So as we would call on the Father, if you've ever called on God, you know what I ought to do? I ought to pass the time of my sojourning. Now that's foreigners. You know what we are here as children of God? We are sojourners. We are resident foreigners. This is not our home. This is a temporary residence. This is a place that we dwell for a short time. Our long home is with the Father in heaven. We're going to our home one day, but while we're here, while we are resident foreigners, while we're here as citizens of heaven and the family of God, but we're living down here on earth, 
with the family and children of the devil, we ought to pass our time in fear and respect of the Father. I believe you can look in our world and see there's not a lot of respect for elderly, for grandparents, or for parents. In our world today, that's the case. You know what that is? It's a shame, ain't it? It's a shame to, to families that there's no respect. Well, I wonder how much respect, how much fear, how much reverence is there for the Heavenly Father? Is there any? Is there any care about what the Lord thinks? Do I care in the least bit what the Word of God says? Do I care what God's testimony would be? Do I care what the Father would say? Do I have any respect to His Word? Do I have any respect to His commandments? Do I have any respect to His power? Any respect to God? I, there's, there's very few. There's very few because you pour water in here and it takes the exact shape. Every curve, every bump, every dimple. And a lot of ways, that's the way the children of God are. You pour them in amongst a bunch of vile people, and they'll be vile just like they are. You pour them in a bunch of angry people, they'll be angry just like they are. You put them into a bunch of backbiting people, and they'll be backbiting just like they are. But you know what the children of God ought to be? They ought to fear their father and say, while I'm down here in this foreign country, while I'm down here with a devil's crowd, I want to behave. Behave myself like God does. I want to be different. I want to be radically different than everybody else around me. I want my life to be different. Preacher, it ain't all about my life. Manner of conversation. My behavior. God is concerned about my behavior. Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things. As silver and gold received from tradition. And I'm about done. I'm almost done. Bear with me just for another minute. Now you know where we started at before this scripture. We were looking at the salvation the Lord had provided in Jesus Christ. Now you know where He's going to put our eyes again? Right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know why I'm able to do this? Do you know why the church is able to be radically different? I tell you, it's the nature of man to conform to those round about him. The Proverbs even says, As iron sharpeneth iron, so doth a man the countenance of his friend. Ain't that true? You work close with somebody. You get close friends with somebody and you'll start to say things that they say. They'll rub off on you. You hang around with worldly people enough and they'll have you thinking like worldly people think. You'll start to be conformed to the image of the devil's children and not children of God. So what does he say? He draws our eyes back to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it wasn't tradition that saved you. It wasn't silver and gold. You know what he's talking about? The tabernacle and the temple. It was not the altar. It wasn't this altar. It was not this pulpit. 
that saved you. It was not Zion Missionary Baptist Church that saved you. It wasn't preacher so-and-so that saved you. It wasn't tradition. It wasn't the parents. But you were saved by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. To save you, he plucked you out of the fire. Let us look to him. Let's draw strength. Let's be sober minded. And God, give us a heart to fear you. May the Lord help us in the days that's to come. That's all that's on our heart. Let's stand for just a minute.